Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What I love about this passage right here is where it says, the one who believes will not be shaken. You can also translate that the one who believes will never be put to shame. And you can also translate it, the one who believes will never be disappointed. And I can't tell you how many times that has spoken to me. If you trust in the Lord, you'll never be disappointed. God will never let you down. We can trust in the Lord. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 24 through 30. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Verse 7, the path of righteousness is leveled. You clear a straight path for the righteous. Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire is for your name and renown. I long for you in the night. So here's Isaiah expressing his own heart. I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Man, Isaiah, all of those centuries ago, think how far back now, 2,700 years ago, Isaiah was praying and longing for the day when the judgments of the Lord would be in the earth. And here we are today praying the same thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's really what Isaiah was praying. And he's just stating that when God's judgments are in the earth, then the world will learn righteousness. But just that word there, I long for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me diligently seeks you. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday morning about you know having that discipline, exercising ourselves spiritually, spiritual formation. We were talking about that, remember? And that is... In a sense, he's really describing that here because he's talking about, with my spirit, I will diligently seek you. And you know, that's all of us have to do that. We have to do it for our own selves and our own well-being, but we also have to do it for the sake of the world. And we have to do it for the sake of others. We have to do it so we are in tune with the Lord and God can work in our lives and he can use us in this time. And sometimes we get lazy. Sometimes we just don't do it. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we're negligent. But there there has to be this diligent pursuit. And that's when there is, you know, spiritual strength. And and of course, that's when there's vision and, and progress and so forth. And so he goes on here and speaks of the wicked Again, speaking about the judgments, but then I want to take us over to verse 19. And here again, dealing with the subject of death, verse 19 says, your dead body will live. Their dead bodies will rise. Awake and sing you who dwell in the dust, for you will be covered with the morning dew and the earth will bring out the departed spirits. 
So, you know, the Bible teaches that there is a resurrection in the future. The Bible teaches that those who have died will one day come up out of the graves. Isn't that amazing? Come up out of the graves. I was reading in Romans this week. You know, Romans, the fifth chapter, it talks about, it says, as sin reigned in death. The reign of sin is seen through death. And when you see a cemetery, a cemetery is a monument to the reign of death. And again, yet death is this enemy, this intruder that has come into God's creation and God has declared war against death. And so here he is stating that he's going to defeat death. So your dead will live, their bodies will rise. And another translation says their bodies will rise with my dead body. And so some see that maybe there's a a reference there to the resurrection of Jesus. Some see that Isaiah is the one who's speaking about belief in his own resurrection and just the fact that there's going to be a resurrection. But when you just look at this picture, awake and seeing you who dwell in the dust. So this is going to be like the most amazing day ever. Not only are people going to rise up out of the dust, they're going to sing when they rise up. It's going to be the best morning ever because death will be done. It will be over at that point. Go, my people. Enter your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the wrath is past. For look, the Lord is coming from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. So again, projecting out to the future. And here is a word to the people of God at the time that they are to be hidden during the time of God's wrath. Now, goes on, the earth will reveal the bloodshed on it and will no longer conceal her slain. So there are different promises for the people of God in regard to the judgment and how God is going to, in some cases, deliver his people from the judgment, in some cases, protect them during it. And so looking at the context here of Isaiah, Isaiah's, his word is directed toward Israel. And so this is really referring to the time of of the great tribulation period, referring to the time of the great judgment where the people of God, and think about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, the people of God are sealed and protected by God during this time of indignation. And so this seems to be a reference to that. Come, my people, and hide away until the wrath is past. And so there's that protection over God's people during that time. And, and of course, we believe that the church, uh, the people of God presently, will be taken out of the world before that. But then the other people will come to put their faith in Jesus during that time. But there's going to be sort of different specific groups of people. There will be the 144,000. There will be a multitude from among the Gentiles that no one can number that will come to faith. But only certain of them are, are protected divinely at the time. 
Others will be believers, but they will suffer under the judgment, under the wrath of the, the Antichrist that's coming. Now, chapter 27, on that day, so this is the final chapter looking at the universal judgment that's coming. On that day, the Lord with his relentless, large, strong sword will bring judgment on Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the monster that is in the sea. So, of course, this is a, a reference to, to Satan. This is a reference to those, those powers that we talked about earlier that God's going to deal with them at the time. But the, the head of that is the one that we commonly call the devil. And the Bible calls him the devil. We talked last week about the name Lucifer. We saw how it's not really an actual proper name, but it really refers to that morning star and But this is who's being referred to here, the Leviathan, the serpent, and the book of Revelation, if you want to look at chapter 12 and 13, this is where you see the identity, once again, of the serpent there, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, it says right there. So there's a judgment that's coming. God's going to deal, and notice he's going to deal relentlessly with a large, strong sword. He's going to bring judgment on Leviathan. And so on that day, sing about a desirable vineyard. I am the Lord who watches over it to water it regularly so that no one disturbs it. He's speaking about Israel now at the time in the future. Then in verse five, in days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and bloom and fill the whole world with fruit. So this is a promise of what things are going to be like when the Lord comes back. Now, some have looked at this verse and said that this is fulfilled already. Look at Israel. Israel is uh, one of the great producers of fruit. They supply all kinds of fruit for the European countries. And so as we, we see that fruitfulness in the land now, some have said that this passage has been fulfilled. But if you look at the context, the passage hasn't yet really been fulfilled because Leviathan is slain, and then this is the, the future of Israel. But I think what we could say is as we look at the fruitfulness of Israel today, I think we could say that we're seeing signs of what it will be like in the future. And it, you know, it's pretty amazing what the Israelis have been able to do as far as, you know, with, with the production of different kinds of fruits and things. And it's really quite fascinating. They've got all these irrigation techniques and things that have caused the, the desert really to, to blossom. And so that is going to be the case in the future, but perhaps now we see a little taste of it that is pointing to what it will finally be like when the Lord returns. So carrying on in chapter 27, goes on, did the Lord strike Israel as he struck the one who struck Israel? Was Israel killed like those killed of the Lord? Uh, you disputed with Israel by banishing and driving her away. He removed her with his severe storm on the day of the east wind. Therefore, Jacob's iniquity will be atoned for in this way 
and the result of the removal of his sin will be this when he makes all the altar stones like crushed bits of chalk. No Asherah poles or incense altars will remain in the city. So the point is God didn't wipe out Israel like he did the other nations and he's going to restore them. And when he does, all the idolatry is going to be purged out of the land. And then down in verse 11, when its branches dry out, they will be broken off. Women will come and make fires with them for they are not the people with understanding. Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them and their creator will not be gracious to them. And so this is again talking about a judgment that the Lord will bring upon those who are his adversaries. So the remainder of the chapter has a reference to Egypt. On that day, the Lord will thresh grain from the Euphrates River as far as the river of Egypt. And you Israelites will be gathered one by one on that day. A great trumpet will be blown and those lost in the land of Assyria will come and all as well as those dispersed in the land of Egypt, they will worship the Lord at Jerusalem and, uh, on the holy mountain. So we looked previously, chapter 19, you remember, talked about Assyria, talked about Egypt, talked about the time when those nations along with Israel will come together and worship the Lord. And now here it's, it's talking about the Lord bringing them back from those lands. So now chapter 28, so we, we've moved now from the, the universal judgment now we come to dealing once again with the, um, the local situation. And first of all, we're dealing with Samaria. Woe to Samaria. Woe to the majestic crown of Ephraim, drunkards, and to the fading flower of its beautiful splendor. So remember, this is the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom, the capital was Samaria. It was called Ephraim because Ephraim was the largest tribe. And this would be the, the kingdom that would be conquered by the Assyrians and go into captivity. So this is just talking about that judgment that's going to come. And we've already looked at that in some of the other earlier chapters. So we can move on from there. But as the Lord is describing the fact that there is going to be this judgment, he says in verse 11, I want to point this out because Paul quotes this in the New Testament in a different context. But he says, for he will speak to this people with stammering speech and in a foreign language. He has said to them, this is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen to him. And so here in these chapters, he's talking about how God is speaking to the people, but they're not listening to him. And because they are not listening to him, there's a certain point where the judgment comes in a way that he's speaking to them through people that they can't even understand. And so the fact that he's speaking to them in a foreign language is, a, is an indicator of the judgment that's come upon them. God's trying to get them to turn to himself. He's offering them peace and they're not responding. Um, Paul, though, interestingly, quotes this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he uses this passage to talk about the gift of tongues 
and to give some correction to the Corinthians on their misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. And so it's, it's interesting the way the apostle uses it. It's a different context, but he pulls it out and he applies it to that situation. So the word of the Lord will come to them law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here and a little there. So they go stumbling backward to be broken, trapped, and captured. So the, the word's going to come to them, but they're not going to comprehend it. That's the idea. And so when we come to, to chap, uh, verse 14, though, again, it gets quite interesting. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. For you said, we have made a covenant with death, and we have an agreement with Sheol. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. So the prophet says that they've, they're fooling themselves, basically. They're thinking that they're not going to be judged. And they're actually even saying, oh, you know, sarcastically, like, no, we made a covenant with death. Don't worry. Death, death's got nothing on us. We made a deal. And that's how um, hardened their hearts were against the word of the Lord coming through Isaiah. And so the Lord speaks and he says, look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge and water will flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be dissolved and your agreement with Sheol will not last. He's saying, whatever you think, actually you're going to be judged. You think you've made a deal with death? Well, I'm going to dissolve that deal and I, I'm going to judge you. But then right in the middle of that, as the Lord often does, he holds out hope for those who will trust in him. And so right in the middle there in verse 16, therefore the Lord God said, look, I have laid in Zion a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation, and the one who believes will be unshakable. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. This is a prophecy of Jesus. And Paul quotes this in Romans chapter nine. He quotes it as referring to Jesus. And so even though the point is, even though judgment is going to come upon Jerusalem, those who trust in the Messiah, those who trust in this one who is the precious cornerstone, the sure foundation, those who believe will be unshakable. So the judgment will not touch them. Now, remember, as we look at these judgments, we talked about how they're... Um, they're near judgments, they're further distant judgments, and then they're way, way out in history, haven't even happened yet. But we know that the Babylonians would come and they would ransack and destroy and wipe out the city. But we know that the people would come back, but we know that the Romans would come and do the same thing. 
But it was during the Roman era that the precious cornerstone had arrived. And remember, Jesus said about himself when he was speaking to the religious leaders, he said, haven't you read this, that the stone that was rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone? And that is pointing to this passage, among others, but it's pointing back to this. But I love, what I love about this passage right here is where it says, the one who believes will not be shaken. You can also translate that the one who believes will never be put to shame. And you can also translate it, the one who believes will never be disappointed. And I can't tell you how many times that has spoken to me. You know, if you trust in the Lord, you'll never be disappointed. God will never let you down. That's the great word from Isaiah 28 right here. We can trust in the Lord. Now, again, as we carry on, it's talking about the judgment, the catastrophe that's gonna come. And then in verse 21, I want you to see this. For the Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rise in wrath as at the Valley of Gibeon to do his work, his unexpected or his strange work, and to perform his task, his unfamiliar task. This is important because this is referring to the judgment that God's going to bring. And he refers to it as his strange task. You see, God does not delight in judging. The Lord said, I have no, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So, for God, judgment is a strange thing in the sense that it's not the thing that he wants to do. He prefers to have mercy. He prefers to save. He prefers that people turn and repent. And even when we think of our world today, I often think about just this truth because the world is certainly primed for judgment. There's no question about it. But we sometimes wonder, well, why hasn't God judged yet? Well, he's reluctant to judge. He will judge one day, but he's reluctant to. It's not his favorite thing to do. He doesn't delight in it. And when I think about that, it gives me a little bit of hope for even our current situation that, you know, things are bad. And it looks like judgment could be right on the doorstep. And in some ways, it, it's, you know, it's already manifesting itself in, in the fact that God one of the ways God judges people is he leaves them to themselves and to their own devices and they self-destruct and that's an indirect way that God judges. But when we think about the current situation and we wonder, well, what might the Lord do? And is it the time of judgment hasn't come? Maybe, but maybe there's mercy ahead. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. In our culture today, there are plenty of people that would even challenge the historicity of Jesus. They would want to cast doubt on whether or not Jesus even lived. 
But did you know that there is no reputable historian who questions the existence of Jesus? And John Dixon has written a fantastic book called Is Jesus History? John is a PhD in historical studies and has done an excellent job in putting to bed the myths and the lies surrounding the existence of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was a historical person, and you can trust what the Bible says about him. And this little book, Is Jesus History, is going to really be helpful for all of those who are still asking that question or wondering about that. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Jesus History? by John Dixon. You can order the book as Jesus History by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.